0: I'm Samantha Swindler
1: and I'm Tom Hallman and we are in inner southeast Portland on an absolute beautiful day. Right now the world is in absolute turmoil but we are here today because of good news and Samantha and I are going to introduce you to Mark Lawton and tell you about his great project and why it matters. So Mark tell me you
0: got to say, this is the part you forgot to say. And this is Oregon Lives. You have to say the name have, of the podcast. Do have to do that again? No, I'll just, okay. I'll just cram it in there.
1: We are here with Mark Lawton, who came up with an absolute innovative concept, basically because he was interested in soccer. So Mark, tell us about how this evolved and what you discovered. Well, first of all, I'm intrigued by maps.
2: I always like looking at maps. And I was working on a map for soccer uh, competitions. And I was working on it pretty hard for about six months. I started from scratch, uh, not having done programming for about 25 years. And just as I was getting good at working with the map, the pandemic hit. And I started reading all this bad news. And I found myself getting kind of depressed reading all the bad news. This was in like mid-February. And at the same time, I started seeing little pieces of good news. At that time, there was a lot of news about animals coming back into city streets and so on, or uh, people singing from balconies. I started seeing these stories, and I realized that I had the skills by this point to make a map of
0: good stories. Where do you find the the stories, and what kinds of stories are you sharing? So
2: I'm trying to find stories that are not just good news, but good news related to the pandemic, like kids sewing masks for uh, hospitals, or people delivering food to seniors who are homebound during the lockdown, or animals coming back into the streets, or people making music together while they're on lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I get stories from all over the world, and when I look for stories, there's a million places you can find them. Um, it's not hard to find stories from the United States, and we can talk about that a little bit later, but um, when I'm looking for stories from other countries, what I often do is uh, either look on YouTube Or I have a list of international newspapers all written in English. So suppose I look at the map and I see there's not very many stories from, I don't know, Kenya. I'll go to an English-speaking newspaper in Kenya and look for stories.
0: Before we forget, what is is the web address?
2: So it's
1: oneworld-stories.org. As humans, we are drawn to bad stories. And I have spent... Hours per night, watching live feeds from CNN, and yet I don't switch to the the Hallmark channel. I don't flip to the old Andy Griffith shows. I find myself consumed by this, and yet at the end of the night, I do feel down.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we're drawn to it, but some kind of you know fear of you know death or mortality. We all have that instinct. I mean, things are particularly bad now, but there's been other bad times in our lives, war and so on. But I think the thing that makes it even harder now is we don't have anybody to process the bad news with. Normally, you see your friends and you say, did you hear what happened? And people give kind of reassurance or different perspectives or change the subject even. But when you're all alone, like we all are, reading the newspaper all day long, I just find that it's... um, It's addictive, but with no release, because we're not seeing our friends. So that's one of the reasons this project has been really good for me, and I'm hoping it's good for other people as well, is it it gives me a relief. I mean, I spend several hours a day either uh, looking for stories or processing stories that people have sent me, and so I get to see the good news each day, and if nothing else, it gives me a relief from the bad news, but uh, the good news by itself changes your whole viewpoint.
0: Do you have a favorite story?
2: Well, there's a lot, but one that I think uh, is the most meaningful so far is there was a guy, an African-American guy in Virginia, who built, he noticed that people in his community were dying from the virus and people were not allowed to have a funeral. And he points points out in the African-American community, celebrating somebody's life at a funeral is really important. And so what he did was he built a pulpit on wheels, and um, the pulpit goes around to different parking lots, and the ceremony takes place on the pulpit, and people come to the parking lot in their cars, and then they can tune in the service on their radios. So everybody gets a chance to say a proper goodbye, and everybody gets a chance to see each other without getting too close to each other. I thought that was amazing, super insightful
1: and thoughtful and helpful on his part, how do you build this map? And do you have to update it every day? Is it becoming a bigger and bigger part of your life? So now yeah,
2: stories are coming in a little bit um in, in chunks now. So uh the this the map is written in computer programming language and I rely on um a map service called Mapbox and I talked to them and they gave me their service for free for six months because it was in the beginning, I got this gigantic bill, and I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't know it was going to cost anything. I thought it was free. And so um, I contacted them, and they gave it to me for free for six months. And then basically what I do is add computer code on top of it to make sure that the stories get in and they get in in the right place.
0: Okay. What, what's your background? Like, do you have a computer programming background? Or Well, basically,
2: I mean, I've done a lot of different things in my life, but they all seem to come together somehow. I mean, I studied, I got a master's in engineering. So, like, 25 years ago, I was a computer programmer. And then recently, I decided to, like, try to learn some programming again. And my skills were really old school, so I had to kind of update them. But most of my career has been working with kids as a teacher, director of community service, soccer coach, some rock climbing coach, a lot of trips with kids. Um, Didn't you you lectured in Spain? Or you've taught around the world. I, I lived in Venezuela, and I taught there a bit. And then I... I lived in Argentina, and I've lived in Spain. Spain was a few years ago, and I did a, I did a couple of lectures in Spain. It was, it was fun. It was the first time I ever gave a lecture in Spanish. So that was pretty cool.
1: What, what draws you to working with kids and the pursuit of knowledge? I,
2: said, I don't know. I just
1: enjoy kids, especially
2: teenagers. They're fun, and they're interesting. They have great energy. They make me laugh, because I think kids learn best by figuring things out themselves. Um, and I just like to be part of that. It's a great feeling at the end of a semester or the end of a soccer season when everything's come to, coming together and you're just off to the side watching the kids be successful. I, I really like that.
1: You have a couple assistants from your soccer world. I talked to a couple of the, the boys that help you, and I'd like you to talk about them in a minute. But in interviewing them, they told me that seeing good news changed the perception of the world so there's this ripple effect because if you see good news, you say, "Hey, look at this," or you can send a link. So tell me about these two boys and what the changes you've seen in them uh, with their involvement with you doing this.
2: So the older ones on the soccer team, and the father is a friend of mine. He's a, he's a software guy and a soccer guy, so that's how we connected. Um, but I just think it's you know I think it's really kind of scary and a shame that so many kids are going through these hard times. You know. You only get a chance to be 12 or 8 once, right? And there's st- there's development that happens during those years that will never happen again. The fact that um, they have a chance to see some good news and do something good, again, like the idea of them participating instead of just watching, it makes me feel good. I, I like to get kids involved. And um, it makes me feel good that they're learning and having a positive experience. I mean, even the fact that they're... Going to school online, it's not the same. Learning in isolation, it's not the same as
1: learning in a group, especially when you're young. One of the things in talking to the kids and their parents I found is that if you start a conversation with good news, you can transition into what's happening that's negative in the world. And it's a very easy conversation to have. You can talk about war. You can talk about differences that are washed away because of this. So I think it's a a wonderful tool you've created for parents to have these kind of conversations, because while people are isolated, within a family you still have people to talk to, but these are conversations that are hard to bring up because a parent says, well, I don't really want to talk about death and the bad news, and this is a very good way to engage a child, I think.
2: Yeah, and I think also there's something that's unique about the map. Like I said earlier, it's not hard to find good news. People could just type in good news and find it, but the map, I think, besides the, the, the kids learning geography by looking at the map and I'm learning geography as well. The fact that it's on a map, it gives the kids like a feeling that we're all in this together. There's good news. The pandemic has no borders, but the good news has no borders either. You know, there's good news coming from all over the world in all kinds of forms from people who are extremely wealthy to people extremely poor. There's one story from Africa I found. I'm sorry. I don't want to lump Africa all together, but I forget which country it was. Um, the guy going around delivering food on his little scooter, electric scooter. You know, nobody asked him to do that. He's just doing it. And you can find these stories everywhere. And I think it's good for kids to see that, like, a common humanity. And I personally believe, I'm not a religious person, but I personally believe that all the good in the world outweighs all the bad in the world.
1: I, I, and... This is not a, a site just for kids, by the way, no. because I've enjoyed it. And s- some of the ones are quite funny. Like The, the guy that dressed up in the T-Rex outfit, yeah. tell us that story. That was one of the first
2: stories that we found. Um, you know, in Spain, they were very, very um, rigorous with their lockdown. You couldn't go, even go out for a walk. You could only go out for essential purposes. And they were strict about it, and the police were enforcing it. So some guy dressed up in a T-Rex outfit, and... Uh, was walking around town, and the police stopped him, and they kind of interviewed him and let him go. But it, it was all videotaped, so it's on, on the map as a video.
0: When did you launch the website? And have you kept track of, like, how many stories have gone up on it now and, and what the kind of the viewership has been? Yeah,
2: well, we have uh, stories from about 150 countries, I would say. There's, we're going on 400 stories today. Um, over 100,000 users. Um, The the world has, I think, 212 countries, and I started the site around February 15th. I was in Argentina, actually, uh, when this whole pandemic thing was really turning bad. I actually had to catch a flight back, the last flight back, because they were shutting down the airlines. So I came back early, and when I got back is when I started doing this. So around February 15th or 20th or so. Um, Yeah, and it's, a lot of people are, there's links to it on Facebook, so a lot of people find it that way. And uh, to a certain extent, from the, from the newspaper article, it get, people find out about it.
0: Was that more, like when you launched this, what were you sort of expecting from it?
2: It's really funny because in the beginning, I'm like, oh, I have 50 viewers. That's great. And then like 100 viewers. And then when um, the word started going out on Facebook, it changed to like 3,000 viewers, 5,000 viewers. A lot of people in the beginning were connecting from India.
1: Over 30,000 people from India looked at it.
0: And Tom, how did you find out about this story?
1: I, I received something from Mark, which is a plug for readers who hear this. We're always looking for good stories, any kind of stories. And Mark reached out to me, and I, I called him and thought, that's a Tom Hallman kind of story. It was perfect. What's the strangest story that you got that you go, no, I'm not putting that <laughs>
2: Well, that's a good question. Some stories are a little political. Like they, somebody will send in a story. I think I got a story from Suriname saying something like, "You know, thank goodness we have a powerful leader." You know, and I'm like, "Well, this is political." You know, it's not really a good news story per se. So I didn't. I wrote back and I said that wasn't appropriate. I got a couple of news stories recently about the riots and the police taking a knee, and I also think that's a good gesture on the part of the police. But it's a very complicated gesture. And it's not really
1: about the pandemic, so I didn't put that on. How does this end when your six-month free trial ends? <laughs> or when the virus ends, or how do you know when to draw the curtain closed? I have to figure out at some point if it's going
2: to end. I don't want to end it if it's, if it's growing, because that means there's a demand for it. And I don't know. I mean, I think the pandemic's going to go on quite a long time. I just, I don't know yet, and I'm going to have to feel it out, I think.
0: I was curious, you know, I mean the pandemic has been the big horrible news up until about a week ago. Yeah. And now there's a whole new kind of a whole new kind of bad news. Yeah. And turbulence. And I'm wondering are you addressing that at all or is there even a way to really do that with this website?
2: Well, I could I could like change the focus, but I don't think I will. I think you know uh, the pandemic is a unique kind of situation, and I want to keep focused on that and also the the um the p- police brutality i mean it happens all over the world, but it 's a particularly acute in this country you know I think in most parts of the world, the biggest story is still the pandemic
1: and you were you were telling me that you 've heard from people in places you 've never visited and might not ever visit
2: yeah, I get I get stories from all over the world, and everybody who submits a story gets a personal email back. I thank them for their story. And then there's a couple of people who are kind of return users who are su- sending stories regularly because uh, they just like the project. So that's really nice because I send emails to people. I mean, I've traveled a lot. I don't know, maybe 25 different countries, maybe 35. But like I said earlier, <laughs> there's over 200 countries in the world, and most of them I'll never go to.
1: And you were also telling me that because you're a fluent in Spanish, you can go to Spanish-speaking publications and find stories that I would not be able to find. That's a real gift. Yeah, it's nice. I, I
2: like to, to look for Spanish-speaking uh, stories, and I tend to find ones that are a little bit more interesting, I think, because they are they haven't made the international press yet, but they're localized. Like, there was one in, in Argentina of a a priest. He was forbidden from having services, if I remember correctly. And he, I think he videotaped them for his congregation. And it was a small town. It wasn't in Buenos Aires. It was out out in the south part of the country. So those types of stories are not going to make into the international press or onto YouTube, but I can find them in the local press.
0: Are all the stories on your website in English?
2: Most of them are in English, but if somebody posts something in their own language, uh, I, I want to leave it that way because it's, it's more appealing to to that community. It's going to be grammatically correct and so on. So the only thing I do is I try to vet it to make sure it's appropriate, and they usually are.
0: I'm <laughs> curious if you, um, like, do you also consume the bad news? Like, you personally, like, do you feel like, because I, I don't know, I'm the, I guess I'm the pessimist of us maybe between me and Tom because I feel like I have to consume some of this bad news. I feel like I have to be aware of the bad stuff that's happening. I feel like I have a duty to not just... And I do a lot of animal videos for the Oregonian, and I do love them. But I feel like I can't just do those videos because I'm not fully participating in civic society. You know what I mean?
2: No, I I agree. I mean, uh, I'm I'm kind of addicted to the news. I, I read the bad news all day long when I'm not working on my projects. Um... Okay, here's the good thing about reading bad news. It keeps you up to date on the bad news, so you don't get shocked. That's maybe a kind of convoluted way of thinking of it, but I notice that you become accustomed to it, and if you keep up with it, it becomes normalized in a bad way, but also normalized in a good way. Like, you can keep your own stability, as opposed to, like, if you tune out every three days, every time you come back, you're going to have a major shock.
1: Uh, That's perceptive. I've also found during this time, I've got in great comfort in reading history. But I realized, I was reading about World War II and, and the bombing over London. The, we talk about 100,000 people here dying, 10,000 in a night, and neighborhoods destroyed, and yet the resilience of the people overcame it. So I take hope out of bad news, maybe because it's so far in the past. But it is easy to get caught up and watch, especially when you're watching TV and it's live, it hits you emotionally, then intellectually, and the, that, there's a disconnect sometime between what you feel and what you want to think about. I mean, having a long view, I think, is helpful. I don't know if you
2: know Nicholas Kristof. He writes in yes. the New York Times, and every January 1st or 2nd, he does a, like, an overview of the previous year, and the fact of the matter is the world is kind of better off than it's ever been. I mean, climate change is terrible, uh, but there's less people in poverty now than ever before, there's more people who are educated, especially women, than ever before. There's less people dying from war than ever before. Uh, there's long, longer life expectancy across the world, not in the United States, but across the world.
0: <laughs> I so. love that Christoph column. He posts one every year. Yeah. I feel like I have to read it to remind myself. Right. And I, I feel like it's a balance. Like You have to know what's going on that's bad in the world that can be better. Because if you're not paying attention to it, how are we going to make it better? How are going to keep making these, these better things? But also, like, you could totally, for your mental health, you can, you can overdo it.
1: And I think even since this pandemic started, every little thing is magnified because every big thing is going wrong. Yeah, it's, it, in some ways, I, the people I talk to, it's hard to be appreciative because you think well yeah that 's nice, but boy i 've got all these other troubles, or i 'm worried i 'm going to get sick or the economy or jobs and we are there 's an onslaught it 's multnomah Falls of negative news and, <laughs> and, and, and and the creek up upstream is the good news, and we have to focus on that. Maybe we have to hike up the trail and drink out of that every once in a while.
2: I do think people are finding uh Happiness in simpler ways, though, spending time with their family. Like in the beginning, a lot of people were saying, I'm not going to homeschool my kids. I'm just going to... Or I'm not going to do distance learning with my kids. We're going to do other stuff. We're going to build a tree house. You know, we're going to get a dog. We're going to, you know... And I think that is something good. Like people are spending more quality time with their families now.
1: I'll be curious uh, in a couple big areas. What artwork comes out of this time? Music, theater, movies, TV shows, everything. And who... What happens to celebrities who were pitching us products and all the reality shows seem as outdated as a 1940s comedy now because our heroes are in our midst. You cannot go to a grocery store and not think that checker, that's heroic. And I think there's going to be big changes in how we see our role in the world and the people around it in the same way World War II affected uh, everything from symphonies to art to literature, it's interesting. I'm I'm interested to see
2: what happens with the young people, like people who are like between 17 and 25. You know, they're planning on going to college or planning on starting their careers or just finished college. And th- this is something that's going to stick with them the rest of their lives. For somebody like me, you know, I've been through enough that this is another one of the things.
1: I've, I was at a conference a few years ago and they talked about what makes a generation a marker and it's something out of control. World War II had that generation, and then you had the Depression, and this will be that generation, and it's not going to be me. Uh, mine was by something else, but I, I think you're exactly right in how this will affect everything on what uh, priorities are in terms of finding contentment or careers, and, and because of that, I think we should be optimistic about the future. When you look in the past, the people that came through terrible things came away with a great strength, forged in the fires, which we're all going through now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one, there's a lot of bad stuff going on now, but once this is over, I think the world's going to be a better place. Um, yeah, I, think, I feel, I, I feel I hope comfortable are right.
0: Back. <laughs> I hope you're right. Yeah, that's maybe as hopeful as an ending as we can possibly have. I hope, that, I hope that things change. I hope that we take from everything that's happened and work to make it better, see what went wrong and what we can do better and how we can help each other.
1: I, I like what Mark says. Let's focus, even in this gloomy time, on the things that are working well. And maybe it is reconnecting with your family and your neighborhood or whatever it is, and focus on that as a foundation to build moving forward rather than the 20% that we focus on. And it... it, it it, that's the lesson of your map.
2: Yeah. I think, I think the map, the fact that it's on a map really helps people see that this is a human kind
1: issue. That it, it transcends everything. Not just the boundaries, but like that's fundamental to who we are. Your map reminded me the first time I looked at it of that great shot from Apollo when they showed the Earth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you think, wait a minute. That's where we all live? It's a beautiful gift you have given not just people of Portland, but truly the world. So it it was nice of of you to invite us over here on a great day. I'm going to leave with the 80% good. It's sunny. (laughs) So thank you. Thanks. Thanks Thank you so
0: much. This was really fun. So that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Um, If you like Organ Lives and you want to hear more, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have an idea for a story or a podcast for me and Tom... You can email us at podcasts at orgonian.com.